Orthodox Journey. A missionary activity of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, working under the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia, presents The Neo-Martyrs, a podcast series exploring the lives, times and virtues of those saints who witnessed for Christ under Ottoman rule. This is The Neo-Martyrs. Church, we give special honor to the martyrs, those who gave up their lives for Christ. Each martyr had a slightly different path to the end of their lives. Some were put in prison, like the new martyr Argiri. Others were tortured, such as the new martyr Nicholas the Baker's assistant, while others were ordered to be executed straight away. However, the common denominator of the neo-martyrs, and martyrs in general, is the way that they approach their deaths. Each saint approached and saw their martyrdom as a blessing, thankfully praising God that they were able to receive the crown of martyrdom and join their Creator in the Kingdom of Heaven. The martyrs displayed great faith and courage, openly confessing their faith and the love in the one true God, denouncing other religions and worldly temptations. The holy new martyr Theodore of the Dardanelles approached his martyrdom with prayer acceptance and joy, even lowering his head for the axe. To give another example, St. Cosmas the Aetolian blessed the four corners of the earth in his final moments. Such examples show how the martyrs were not afraid of death, but rather chose to spend their last moments in contemplation and thanksgiving. This approach towards the final moments of earthly life is especially highlighted in the life of the neo-martyr George, the goldsmith from Kratovo in Serbia, St. George was born a Christian in 1497, raised by his parents Dimitri and Sarah, who taught him how to love God. When George's father died, the ten-year-old George learned the trade of a goldsmith to support his family. Because he was handsome and very tall, George was afraid to stay in his hometown as he was at risk of being forcibly taken to the sultan's court, which often happened at this time. For that reason, he moved to the city of Sofia, where he lived with a devout priest named Peter. Unfortunately, George soon attracted the attention of the Muslims of Sofia, due to his features and his obvious piety. When they could not persuade him to become a Muslim, they alleged that he had blasphemed against Islam. Soon after, George was asked to go to the judge to take an order for jewellery, but did not realise that this was a trick until the judge refused to accept his services unless he became a Muslim. When George refused and pointed out the flaws of Islam, the judge and other Muslims witnessing were enraged 
and George was thrown into a dungeon. Father Peter then visited George and persuaded the prison guard to release George for a while so they could talk. Even though George was afraid of the pain that awaited him and wanted to do more for Christ on the earth, Father Peter embraced the saint and reassured him of the blessings that awaited him in the next life. The next day, the Turks again tried to force George to renounce Christ, but the martyr remained steadfast in his faith. A week later, the saint was once again brought before the court. This time George refused the judge's offer to be his adopted son and heir, and further highlighted to the Muslim onlookers the fallacies of Islam. He was then ordered to be burnt at the stake. On February the 11th, 1515, when the martyr was passing by the church of St. Sophia on his way to the stake, Father Peter approached him and said, You will not suffer long, George. Be patient. George answered, Pray, Father, that the Lord will strengthen me. Father Peter then asked all the priests of the city and all Christians to pray for the confessor of Christ. Then they all prayed to the Lord to strengthen him. A large stake was made in the middle of the square, and once again the Turks tried to force George to renounce Christ with flattery and threats. I have stated more than once that I will not renounce my faith, the confessor replied. Then they lit the bonfire and pushed George into the fire, and when he was partially burnt, they pulled him out and asked him, How are you? Isn't it hot? Believe me, I don't feel it, replied the saint, but for you unfortunates, eternal fire is ready. Furious with rage, they threw him onto the bonfire again. The martyr was facing towards the east. When the ropes with which his hands were tied burnt, he made the sign of the cross and said loudly, Lord Jesus Christ, into your hands I entrust my spirit. One of those present grabbed a log and struck the martyr on the head with it, and George's soul departed from his body. Immediately afterwards, though the sun was shining, a cloud appeared in the sky and a downpour fell. The Christians glorified God and begged the administration to give them St. George's body. Don't hope to take a single part of his corpse, said the Turks. We'll burn it up and scatter it to dust. Then they threw animals on the bonfire so that the burnt remains could not be recognized. But everything burnt except the martyr's body. At night, one of them took the martyr's body and took it to his home. From there, it was transferred to the Cathedral of St. George. The next day, the priest Peter reported to the judge and stated, I came to the church early this morning and found George's body there. Are we allowed to bury him? The judge admitted, George is a saint. Those who guarded it say that. Although they added a lot of wood, the body did not burn. And the judge gave permission for St. George, the goldsmith of Cretova, to be buried. St. George's life shows us how some of the martyrs approached their death with trepidation but were comforted by God, either directly or through those around them. Before his execution, St. George prayed that he may be found worthy of the kingdom of heaven. He knew what awaited him, a crown of glory. We can also learn from the example of Father Peter, whose selflessness and humility is highlighted by his focus on praying and caring for St. George and not his own well-being or money.
we should take this as an example to not only pray for others, but to translate this selflessness into our interactions with other people as well. Furthermore, St. George showed so great a love for Christ that he came to stand fearless before the judge, knowing that the outcome would be death. This conviction and bravery shows us how St. George approached the end. A desire to be a witness for Christ and without fear that this would result in his death. In the same way that the saint accepted and rejoiced in his fate, we too should be accepting of God's plan for our lives. One thing that also needs to be said is that the martyrs weren't perfect. As humans, they fell to sin. Yet because of their love for Christ, they were able to bring themselves back onto the correct path and continue their struggles towards the kingdom of God. This represents how the neo-martyrs approach their end with a clear notion of salvation and what brings them closer to Christ. They prepared themselves through prayer, reading the scriptures, fasting, in order to be vigilant and courageous, and not denying their faith in Christ when approaching their martyrdom. The deaths of the neo-martyrs were not just inspiring to Orthodox believers, but they were a message of victory to Christians and Ottomans alike. To Christians, martyrdom firstly represents the ultimate fulfillment of being a witness for Christ. The word martyr comes from the Greek word for witness. Christian martyrdom is the ultimate expression of love for God and obedience to his teachings, just as Christ was obedient to his Father, even to his death on the cross. The martyr is called to put on Christ, as outlined in St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, partaking in the challenge of martyrdom humbly, selflessly, and with love for God in their hearts. Their boldness and acceptance of the way their lives were going to the end was often very frustrating for the Turks, who ordered many neo-martyrs to be tortured with the intention of breaking their spirit, but to no avail. They could not understand how the Christians did not fear death, so ready and joyful to accept this path. What the Ottomans did not understand was that the martyrdom of these saints was their way of courageously bearing their cross for Christ. From the perspective of the Ottomans, the torture and death of the neo-martyrs was very closely intertwined with enforcing their laws and projecting Islam onto their subjects. By killing the neo-martyrs, the Ottomans hoped to send a message to the people, many of whom who would have recently converted to Islam from orthodoxy, that the punishment for apostasy was death. The killing of Christians, especially considering the brutality with which the killing was done, also served to deter others from practicing their Christianity in the open and encouraging others to remain in the faith. However, the Ottomans, in ordering the deaths of the martyrs, actually provided the means for great treasures to be won, and in this way, death becomes a means for the Christian to triumph over the Ottoman oppressors. The fear they sought to induce was instead transformed into a symbol of courage and perseverance, a shining hope for other Christians and a message to continue on their path towards salvation. In fact, St. Nicodemus the Hagia right in the 18th century recognized the importance of writing about the neo-martyrs as he highlighted their courage and devotion to help Christians to stand firm in the faith. The life of St. Gregory of Gidonias, who is celebrated on the Sunday before the exaltation of the Holy Cross, 
is another example of the way the neo-martyrs adorn the church through their sacrifices and love for God. St. Gregory was born in Magnesia, Asia Minor, in 1864, and was named Anastasios. In his last year at the theological school of Chalkir, he was ordained a priest, and his name was changed to Gregory. While working in the metropolis of Macedonia and Drama, he worked hard alongside Metropolitan Chrysostomos, better known as St. Chrysostomos of Smyrna, for the Greek spirit to be revived among the people in Macedonia. Gregory was ordained as the Metropolitan of Tiberopolis and Stromnitsis in 1902. This region had many challenges, such as struggles against the Turks and the Bulgarian Revolutionary Committee, who tried to assassinate St. Gregory many times. When the Turkish government heard that St. Gregory was very dedicated to working for Greek national interests, they were not impressed and forced the ecumenical patriarch to transfer him to the metropolis of Gidonia in Asia Minor in 1908. However, the relocation didn't hinder St. Gregory, and he continued his national efforts. Still not satisfied, the Turks accused St. Gregory of treason in 1918, and after being tried twice in the military courts of Smitna, he was convicted and sent to prison. On October the 16th, 1918, he was released. At that time, his metropolis of Gidonia was occupied by the Greek military. St. Gregory did not withdraw from the province, this choice creating much conflict between himself and the Greek High Commissioner of Smyrna. After the Greek military and political figures left Gidonia, it became apparent that the citizens of the region were in danger from being massacred by the Turks. In a meeting with some elders, St. Gregory suggested that the citizens should depart from Mytilini in order to secure their safety, a request which was denied. Unfortunately, this meant that a conflict with the Turks was inevitable. On August the 22nd, 1922, 4,000 Greek residents living in Gidonia were massacred by a Turkish army. Concerned for his flock, St. Gregory humbly went to visit the Turks, asking them to help him save his people. Amazingly, Gregory was able to convince the Turks to bring Greek ships from Mytilene under American flags, with the guarantee that 20,000 of Gidonia's 35,000 residents would be accepted by the American Red Cross. Again, St. Gregory was so dedicated to his flock that he refused to be separated from them and chose to stay behind. On September the 30th, after watching his flock leave on the American ships, St. Gregory was about to flee with the other priests of Gidonia when the Turks arrested and imprisoned the Holy Saint, who suffered many horrible tortures at the hands of the Turks. On October the 3rd, 1922, St. Gregory and the other priests of Gidonia were killed, giving their souls to the Lord. St. Gregory was taken to be buried alive, but it is understood that he reposed before having to suffer through that horrific means of execution. The most outstanding aspect of St. Gregory's life, which shows his love for Christ, is his refusal to abandon his people. Just like Moses refused to abandon the Israelites, St. Gregory placing the needs of his flock 
above his own shows how dedicated and zealous a hierarchy was. In 1932, a statue was erected in Mytilene of St. Gregory, the inscription reading, The Good Shepherd Laid His Life Down for the Sheep. St. Gregory was a good shepherd to his flock. His remarkable humility is enduring the insults and humiliation from the Turks after asking for their help, and his insistence that his people get on the boats before him exemplifies how this saint approached his end with the love of his flock in his mind, seeing the image of God in his people. He chose to help others and place their lives above his own, demonstrating that in our own lives we too should practice this selfless attitude as a virtue which adorns the church beautifully. While St. Gregory's martyrdom reflects how cruel the Turks were in providing the illusion that the saint and his fellow clergymen would reach safety, it also represents how love for Christ drove every decision that St. Gregory made, and that we too should put our faith and trust in the Lord and accept all the trials that come before us, much like St. Gregory. Unfortunately, due to the way that St. Gregory was martyred, we do not have his relics to venerate. This occurred quite regularly, especially because of the situations in which the neo-martyrs were executed and because the Ottomans recognized the importance of the relics of the martyrs to the Orthodox Christians. For some neo-martyrs, like St. George the Goldsmith, the Ottomans accepted bribes from the Christians to take the relics of the saints or just gave the Christians the relics. For other neo-martyrs, the Ottomans tried to burn the body, again like St. George the Goldsmith, and tried to leave the body of a saint to be devoured by animals or threw the body into the sea with weights so that it would sink and not be recoverable. However, the Ottomans often failed in this endeavor, with the animals leaving the bodies of the neo-martyrs untouched and the body floating to a friendly land where it could be venerated. In the Orthodox Church, we give particular respect and reverence towards the relics of our saints. In venerating the relics of the neo-martyrs, we hope to receive the grace of God that the saints also received. Often, the holiness of the neo-martyrs was made known immediately through their bodies. St. Miron, the tailor's body, was clothed in a heavenly light, showing all who witnessed this sign that God was with this man, even though he was no longer alive. The relics are also known to be holy due to their fragrance, as was the case with St. Basil Galapalikis, who despite being executed in 1902, still exudes an otherworldly fragrance. The blessings provided through the relics of the neo-martyrs are also evident through the miracle-working nature of their relics. The new martyr Theophanes' relics became the source of many miracles. His relics are said to have healed all manner of diseases, like leprosy and lameness. The saints' holy relics have even healed those possessed by demons. Furthermore, the relics of the neo-martyrs further witness to their holiness through the incorrupt nature of many of the relics. This means that their relics have not decomposed as is natural, but rather maintain their form from the time the saint gave their soul to the Lord. This is a sign from God that the holy nature of the saint 
where the grace of God does not affect just the soul, but also the body, as the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The new martyr John of Trebizond's relics are incorrupt and can be found in northern Romania, with the saints still influencing and protecting lives around the world today. The veneration of the relics of the neo-martyrs is always a way to celebrate and commemorate the memory of a saint. It reminds Orthodox Christians everywhere about the sanctity and holiness of our faith and how we worship the one true God. The martyric ends of the neo-martyrs show us how each saint struggled to attain the crown of martyrdom, yet approached their maker with open arms and with hearts filled with love, peace and humility. They were witnesses for Christ, and their boldness in approaching death is an example to Christians everywhere to continue to fight the good fight, denying worldly temptations and staying on the path towards Christ. We should be grateful and pray for the intercessions of these martyrs so that we too can have the same conviction in our lives that they did, and that we too might adorn the church with our virtues throughout our lives. hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.